You're listening to Brain Biohacking with your host, Kayla Barnes. We dive into all things optimal health, nutrition, peak performance, cognitive excellence, biohacking, longevity, and so much more. Welcome back to Brain Biohacking. Today, I'm speaking with Harry Adelson, MD. Dr. Adelson is one of the most experienced physicians in the world with the use of stem cell therapy and the treatment of pain. He has performed more than 7,000 procedures using bone marrow cells and has injected more than 1,600 intervertebral discs with bone marrow cells. He also created something that we're going to talk about today called the full body stem cell makeover. Stay tuned. I know you're going to love this episode. It's such a pleasure to have you here, Dr. Adelson. Thank you so much, Kayla. It's, it's my pleasure to be here with you. Absolutely. So I can't wait to jump into all things stem cells. I came and visited your clinic not too long ago. And I mean, your view is gorgeous, but what you guys are doing inside the clinic is so much more impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just can't wait to dive into it all. Great. Let's do it. Absolutely. So I want to start in the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and what got you interested in stem cells? Yeah, sure. So when, you know, I went to naturopathic school because I sort of fell in love with the philosophy, the the healing power of nature, using the body's own natural ability to heal itself. And um, when I was wrapping up my first year, I was preparing for a rock climbing trip in France and France is the birthplace of modern sport climbing. And it's, you know, I was, it was sort of a big, it's a big deal. It's like going to Mecca for rock climbers to go to France. And I was training really hard. And um, I, I, I was working out in the gym and I felt this pop in my shoulder. And I thought, oh, that's not good. It swelled up. I had a lot of pain. Went and saw an orthopedic surgeon. He said, yeah, you've torn the cartilage in your shoulder. I can put a scope in there and clean it up. Uh, it's will help in the short term, but it's probably going to give you problems later in life. Uh, or I can give you steroid injection, which will help in the short term, but it could potentially further degradate the, the, the structure of your ligaments. And I thought, that's it. Those are my choices. Like that just seems so dumb. Like neither of them sounded appealing. And that was really all medicine had to offer. Now I was in naturopathic school learning about this sort of, you know, using the body's natural ability to heal itself. So I I just kept asking around and I was introduced to the man who was to become my mentor, Dr. Rick Marinelli, who was the first naturopathic doctor to perform prolotherapy. Now, prolotherapy was the predecessor of stem cell therapy. It's the injection of natural substances, substances that are simultaneously nutritive and slightly irritating, such as sugar, oddly enough. I mean, something as simple as sugar. You, you inject that into the area it basically is slightly irritating, tricks the body into thinking that it's been re-injured and launches the healing cascade. So you get the second opportunity to heal without actually having been injured again. So I, I felt it worked so well. My trip to France was, was a huge success and I became friends with Rick and my life path just sort of unfolded before me. So for my first about six years, I did prolotherapy, which was you know, a very simple procedure. My office was slightly more complicated than a acupuncturist office and um, you know, treated a lot of people, had pretty good success, would have to treat people pretty frequently. I'd have to see them like once a month for up to a year sometimes to really get the results that we wanted. 
Well, then in 2005, 2006, platelet-rich plasma hit the scene. Platelet-rich plasma is you do a blood draw, you concentrate down the platelets from the person's own blood, and you inject that instead of using sugar water like we do in prolotherapy. Well, what I found is it really was different different instrument, same sheet music, like all the principles, everything was pretty much the same. The difference was the results occurred much more quickly. Like instead of six to 12 treatments over, you know, at one month intervals, I would end up doing like three to six treatments. So it was almost like twice as fast the, the, the outcomes that we wanted. And this is treating low back pain, neck pain, arthritis, you know, problems of the musculoskeletal system. Well, I did that for about four years and I, you know, thought that was what I was going to do the rest of my career. And then uh, a woman came to me, a, a woman who I treated for years, uh, Laura, and Laura was, you know, super hyper intelligent, ridiculously high IQ. She comes into my office with a stack of papers, drops it on my desk, and they're all uh, scientific articles on the use of bone marrow stem cells for the treatment of arthritis, all in animals, because this is back in 2009. And that's all we had. And she said, I want you to put bone marrow stem cells in my knee. And I said, Laura, you know, I don't know how to do that. And she said, so learn. And I said, Laura, you know, I'm a naturopathic doctor. Do you know how much flack I'll get if I start doing bone marrow aspirations? And she leaned across the table and she said, Harry, I'm a materials engineer for NASA and I'm a woman. So if you want to complain to me about people telling you that you're out of your league, I'm afraid you're complaining to the wrong person. Well, I had nothing I could, I, you know, I had no recourse for that. So I, um, you know, I found a surgeon who was willing to teach me how to do a bone marrow aspiration. And I started doing it. And the results were so spectacular, you know, really, like, I was so impressed with it. I knew that's all I wanted to do. Wow, that that's amazing. And I love this is the first time hearing about Laura and how this kind of came about. So that's so exciting. Laura's sounds amazing. Um, and yeah, the the incredible results from stem cells, I can't wait to dive into them. But I want to go back really quick to PRP. So I've only had PRP used on my skin topically. Mm -hmm. um, and I've loved the results. You know, it's great. It really speeds healing. I've done microneedling on one side of it. And then when you put the PRP, it just heals so much faster. Mm -hmm. But do you still do the PRP injections as well, like into joints and in different areas? Well, we do what's called a photomodulated PRP. So we still, we you know, we're, we use primarily bone marrow stem cells. But then additionally, we use what's called this pho photomodulated PRP. And what that is, is you take, you know, you take the blood, we use, we, the blood is comprised of red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets, which are the cellular components and platelets are actually cellular fragments. And then the serum, the serum is just the fluid that it, you know, that the cells exist and the cellular fragments exist in. You put it in a centrifuge, when the tube comes out at the bottom are the red blood cells because they contain iron. So they're the heaviest. So they go to the bottom at the top is the serum. And then in the middle are the platelets. Now platelets exist, you know, every, you know, in your entire blood supply, they are what are responsible when blood finds itself outside of a blood vessel. It recognizes that and activates and it relate, it releases these proteins 
the most important of which is called platelet-derived growth factor. And platelet-derived growth factor is what triggers the activation of your own endogenous stem cells. Now, one of the other things, so that's, that's sort of like PRP, basic PRP, platelet-rich plasma. Now, blood contains stem cells, a spe very specific kind of stem cell called VSEL. And VSEL stands for very small embryonic-like stem cells. And they're called very small because they're just slightly smaller than a red blood cell. And they're called embryonic-like because they're almost as primitive as embryonic stem cells. So this exists in your blood. So anytime you inject PRP, you're injecting these VSELs. The problem, however, is these VSELs are completely hibernating. They're quiescent. They're not active. So you're not getting any benefit from the platelet-rich plasma. You're getting benefit from platelet-rich plasma from the concentration of platelets, but you're not getting the benefit of the VSEL. Well, I had heard about methods for activating these VSELs in your blood. And uh, the only way that I'd really, you know, I'd heard a few different people doing it and involved freezing the blood and thawing it. And it's also like some people call it platelet lysate. And they, they at first they thought it was because they were actually rupturing the, the platelets and all the contents were getting released. But now we think it's actually because in that freezing and thawing, you're activating these VSELs because you're, you're sort of like applying stress to these, to these platelets and, or to the VSELs. And what's interesting is, you know, like if you say, oh, it's the, this process of freezing and thawing. Well, that sounds a lot like biohacking, doesn't it? I mean, like one of the, sure one of the main sort of mainstays of biohacking is hot and cold therapy, hot and cold contrast. Same with naturopathic medicine, by the way. Well, what we're now starting to think is a lot of the benefits that you get from these cold and hot, you know, alternating therapies is you're actually activating your own endogenous VSELs. So anyway, um, I'd heard about these way, this way where you could freeze and thaw the blood, but um, the problem with that is it's very time consuming. And in order to, uh, you know, you really have to keep the blood overnight and then there's sort of like a whole regulatory problem because whenever you keep a blood product overnight, you're now considered a blood bank, which is a whole other mountain of red tape. So I, I just, I never really got into it. I never could really figure out how to incorporate it. But then I actually got a call from Dave Asprey. He said, he, called, he like cold called me on a Sunday. And normally when I talk to Dave, we'd schedule it. But I just like looked at my phone, I'm like, oh, Dave's calling. And he goes, there's a guy in California, Dr. Todd Ovokites, who's developed a laser that activates VSELs from PRP. And you need to start doing it because this is the next biggest thing to really hit the, hit the cellular medicine world. So I called this guy, Todd Ovokites. He's in Southern California. He's developing a network of doctors, which I'm now on the board of scientific advisors for and a member of, this, of, the, of the network. Uh, and so we started adding that. And what we really noticed with VSEL is, you know, what we've just observed, because we've only been doing it uh, seven months now. So I don't, you know, like long-term results, I don't really know. But the thing that we've noticed is that when people wake up from their procedure, they have significantly less pain and they tend to have benefit quite a bit sooner. Normally we tell people, that to not expect any benefit for two to six months. And with the VSEL, people seem to get results much more quickly. So we've been very happy with it.
That's incredible. Um, would you say, would it have any benefit to the skin too? I'm just curious. So if, if you're already getting the PRP and you're already doing the blood draw for the PRP facial, if you ran it through the laser, would, do you think it would have benefit for the skin? Oh, absolutely. Too? See, that w- it doesn't really, you know, when I was saying that the, the transition from prolotherapy to platelet-rich plasma and then platelet-rich plasma to stem cells, it's different instruments, but it's the same sheet music. Really, like whatever it is that we're doing, it's the same concept. So the area in, in stem cell therapy that enjoys the most scientific literature, so scientific evidence, is uh, wound care. Mm. So, you know, some, and the, part of the reason for that is because it's a very easy thing to study. You know, someone has a non-healing ulcer, a wound that will not heal, and then you perform an intervention and either it gets better or it doesn't. And you take pictures of it. Like there's no, there's nothing subtle. Like there's no, there's nothing subjective. It's entirely objective. Like the, the, the wound gets better or it doesn't. Well, that's part of the reason why it's been studied with stem cell therapy. And it seems to be very effective for that. And the reason we think that is, is because, well, how does a wound heal? You know, in order for like, if you have skin that won't grow back over, First, you have to grow new blood vessels, and then the skin grows on top of it. So that's why with regenerative medicine, you know, we're not thinking in terms of the body as like a machine that we're going to like replace or repair parts of it. We're thinking of the body as a garden, and we're going to treat the tissue beds so they grow more healthy plants, right? And so in order to do that, that takes some time. You know, you don't just plant a garden and then the next day you get a beautiful you know garden you have to wait for the plants to grow right so same if we're treating a knee if we're treating an intervertebral disc if we're treating the skin if we're treating the hair follicles whatever it is whatever tissue whose health we wish to improve we inject either the platelet-rich plasma or if we want to turn up the volume the bone marrow stem cells the photomodulated prp which is the vscl uh, it similarly, just like the old fashioned prolotherapy, tricks the body into thinking there's been this new severe injury, but there has been no tissue insult, thereby launching the body's natural healing cascade to get the benefit of a healing reaction without having actually been injured. Great. Is it is it true, and I've heard this, but is it true that the body will typically only heal, say you have an injury, a sports injury, um, the body will typically only heal to the point of using it, that portion of the body, whether it's the elbow or the ankle, it might not actually go back to the the way it was prior to the injury. Is there, is there truth in that? Well, it it depends. It, it's, it's this combination of the severity of the injury and how robust your own natural healing response is because you know we've heard about some pro athletes who've had some really horrific injuries who return to the field um and because they have you know part of what makes them a professional athlete is they have superhuman healing powers uh and then you've heard of other people who have relatively small injuries that just never completely heal well so it's this balance of like how much structural damage is actually produced by the injury whether it's a single traumatic injury or multiple microscopic, you know, like micro traumas, um, and then how well your body responds. And that is, you know, that's when we're talking about the treatments that I do, you know, I can, it's very easy to tell which injections I want to do 
The difficult part is whether or not I think I can help this person. Because if the person's not in particularly good health, if they're not in good physical health, if they're not in good emotional health, if they're not in good speed, I'm really like all of those things. If I, if the person is just not particularly healthy on all levels, you know, you don't, this therapy does not work that well because you we can move these cells around all day, but if your own ability to heal your own body uh, isn't functioning properly, well, it's not going to do much. So anyway, I'm kind of rambling, but to answer your question, you know, uh, you, you have the injury and then you have a healing response and then either you get back to, you know, back where you were, or you're left with what's called suboptimal healing. And that's a setup for chronic musculoskeletal pain. Great. Thank you for that. Um, because I've always kind of heard it or some people, their injury will reoccur. They might blame the weather or something, you know, oh, the weather's mm -hmm. changing and now my old foot injury is hurting. So yeah, it's really interesting, the different mechanics of healing and how bio-individual it is. And it's also a great point that you make that the foundation really needs to be there for any really biohacking or, you know, really high-end regenerative therapy to truly take place and work really well in the body. So I love that point as well. So before we jump into stem cells deep, can you just tell us what stem cells do in the body? What's their purpose and what kind of happens to them as we age? Sure, sure. So uh, so we, we have stem cells in virtually every tissue in our body. Uh, and their job is to maintain the health of their microenvironment. So whether you're in a fat pad in a knee or you're in a ligament in the shoulder or you're in an intervertebral, like wherever you are in the body, you, ha you have stem cells that, that just live there. That's, that's their domain. And their job is when you have an injury, they kick in the healing response. So whenever you have healing in the body, it's a stem cell mediated event, right? So, um, we, so what we do is we, you know, for, for us, for instance, we just treat low back pain, neck pain, joint pain. We don't treat any kind of systemic disease. We're treating people with pain. Uh, in that case, you have somebody who's had an injury, they have suboptimal healing, and now they're kind of left with what they're left with. So what we do is we take stem cells from an area where you still have a robust population, such as your bone marrow, such as the VSELs in your blood, and we inject them directly, and it has to be direct, it has to be really precise. You know, a lot of people talk about, oh, I went to Costa Rica and had an IV infusion of, of stem cells, and that's great. You know, like that's a great therapy for your internal organs, because when you give an IV of stem cells, it goes, you know, it primarily goes to your internal organs, your brain, your liver, your lungs, that sort of thing. But when you're talking about a knee, when you're talking about especially an intervertebral disc, which has no blood flow, these are, these are not nearly as vascularized as your internal organs. So it needs to be injected very precisely. So if someone's listening to this, they're considering undergoing stem cell therapy for the treatment of low back pain or neck pain, well, you want to make sure that the person you go to is using some form of image guidance, either x-ray guidance or ultrasound guidance, or ideally both, because there, some things are x-rays perfect for, some things ultrasound is perfect for, and a small number of things you can do one or the other. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, it needs to be, it needs to be precise because we're putting the cells in the area that has experienced suboptimal healing, and that's where you get the healing response. Great. And as we age these, well, actually two questions. So 
every time you get an injury, if these are kind of being released, so does that mean if you've sustained more injuries in your life, you're going to have a less of a stem cell count in your body over time? Mm, I don't know that anybody really knows that for sure. Um, I, I, I mean, that makes sense to me as you say it, but I, I don't know that anybody really knows that for sure. Okay, good. Uh, and then as we age, though, they do decline, right? So we might Absolutely. have less stem yeah. cells. In it, they, we have fewer stem cells and they're le- more than that, they're less robust. So they're not, uh, they, they, uh, they don't produce as many exosomes. So you, th- there's these vesicles filled with growth factors within the stem cell uh, that as we age, we have, you know, we manufacture fewer of those exosomes. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you mentioned low back pain and neck pain, but are there you do all sorts of different injections, right? So what are some other areas that you can treat? Can you do hands? And I think you do like the 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 big toe, like even down to uh-huh. from the top to the bottom. Yeah, basically, if it's moves in your body from your TMJ down to your big toe, I've injected it at one point or another. Uh, because it's all it's all the same concept again. Like whether it's your shoulder, or your knee, or your intervertebral disc, or your epidural space, doesn't it doesn't really matter. Like if it's experienced suboptimal healing, if it's experienced changes in the microscopic anatomy, um, then the hope is that putting stem cells in that area will launch a healing cascade and get it to work. Uh, you know, the when I started doing stem cell therapy back in so I. Uh, Laura told me, you know, showed, gave me that stack of articles in 2009. It was in February of 2010 that I learned how to aspirate bone marrow. And I just jumped right into it with both feet. And back then in 2010, 2011, 2012, what's really interesting is uh, the only people who had heard of stem cell therapy were cowboys. Yeah. So like I was getting these Wyoming cowboys. And the reason for that is because the very first adopters of stem cell therapy were the veterinarians. And there was a large animal veterinarian in Wyoming who was doing bone marrow stem cells on horses. And so these guys had these very expensive workhorses that they wanted to get a couple more years out of. You know, they were getting old and they were just not able to function as well. So they take him to this guy, he would do stem cells on the horse and they would see with their own eyes how the horse wasn't able to work and now it's able to work. So they'd say to this guy and say, well, can't you just like inject my back and my neck? And the guy would say, well, no, I can't because I'm a veterinarian, but there's a guy in Park City doing it now, go to him. So in those early years, I mean, I was my practice was very slow because so few people had heard of stem cells and that's all I wanted to do. So I would alternate a month here And then I would travel and then a month traveling through South America, learning from the maestros, learning from the people who had been doing it the longest. Uh, But for my cowboy patients that, you know, these are legitimate wranglers, ranchers, you know, people who've exceeded the terms of their warranty. Like they've really pushed their body to the limit every single day for years and years. So they literally have had arthritis throughout their entire bodies. So I started, uh, I started doing these huge treatments. You know, I'd do their neck and their low back and both shoulders and both hips and both knees. And I like totally as a joke would call it full body stem cell makeover. Like it was really seriously like tongue in cheek. And then uh, in tw- early 2016, Dave Asprey became a patient. And once that happened, I started getting the biohacking community. And these people would say, can't you just do my whole body just sort of preventatively? 
And I thought, yeah, actually I can. I've been doing it for years. And so that was the birth of the full body stem cell makeover. And we did, uh, let's see, three this week. Uh, where it's about, it's a little over half of what we're doing now. So basically what that is, is uh, we, we do everything under IV sedation. So an anesthesiologist puts you to sleep. So you're asleep through this whole thing. I do a relatively big bone marrow aspiration. We concentrate the stem cells from the bone marrow. We do a, a blood draw to get the VSELs from the blood. And then we proceed to inject basically the entire body in a single sitting, base of the skull down to the tailbone, every single level, including epidural injections, turn the person over both shoulders, both elbows, both wrists and thumbs, both hips, both knees, both ankles and great toe. People have the option of having my partner, Amy Killen, who you've interviewed, uh, do her portion, which is the skin of the face to improve elasticity and hydration, do the scalp to uh, thicken the hair follicles. And then in men, she does the penis to improve microcirculation. In women, she does the vagina to improve elasticity and hydration of the vaginal tissue. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's, we call it the most comprehensive stem cell upgrade ever conceived because it is. I mean, I know this industry pretty well and nobody's doing really anything close to it. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you guys are definitely the experts and and uh, have the best, um, you know, and that's why the top biohackers are going there. I love that the Cowboys were the first biohackers, it seems mm -hmm. like. Yeah, I mean, because they're very pragmatic people. You know, these are people who, you know, like take a farmer, for instance, like farmers, if you have a piece of farm equipment that's critical for production, if it breaks down, well, if your warranty covers it, great. But if the warranty doesn't cover it, you're still going to get it fixed because you need it. Well, these guys realize that their body is a tool and they need their bodies in order to function. So they're very pragmatic because a lot of people are like, oh, insurance doesn't cover it. You know, there's there's sort of two elements to that. One is like, oh, I actually have to pay money, which, you know, yeah, how, how much do you value your ability to move in space? And then the other thing is there's people who are just like, oh, well, if insurance doesn't cover it, then it must somehow be you know, fringe due to its own inadequacies or something, which is not at all true. I mean, it's really, it's just the way the system's set up. This does not fit into the system and cowboys, wranglers, those guys under, sort of understand that and they don't even necessarily trust the system and they're okay with stepping outside the system, which isn't for everybody, you know, and that's fine. Uh, but if, for, if you, if your back pain is bad enough and you want to really do something about it, you don't want to wait 10 years for the research to catch up with all of this, then, you know, there's people doing it right now. Absolutely. And I always say, you know, health is an investment, not an expense. And you're either going to pay now or you're going to pay later. So it's mm -hmm. really up to you. Do you want many more years of health and vitality and waking up with energy and not having pain? Or, you know, do do you want to just wait until that occurs? And right. of course, your quality of life is definitely less than so I agree with you totally. Hence why I'm going to come to your clinic very soon and do uh, something. And I'm hoping we can talk about brain health and what stem cells might be able to do because you and I chatted about it before. Yeah. So, um, I, I really stay in my lane. I don't treat, uh, I, I don't treat the central nervous system. Uh, I have had people over the years now, especially with these VSELs, uh, you know, we, we inject the spine, we inject the joints. Well, it gets picked up into general circulation. The mesenchymal stem cells from your bone marrow 
That doesn't necessarily cross the blood-brain barrier because they're too big, but these VSELs do. So um, I've had people tell me all sorts of, I just say, like positive side effects. So I'm not treating brain fog. I'm not treating people's brain health. But, you know, hopefully you'll get some sort of positive side effect. And I've had people, uh, I've had people over the years tell me all sorts of things from sleeping better to, you know, you name it. Uh, probably our most our most famous brain guy that we treated was Jim Quick. Of oh, course, we yeah. did. We treated him and helped him, mostly helped him with his shoulder. Uh, his brain's in pretty good shape to begin with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, I was with him uh, a couple weeks ago. And, yeah, he actually mentioned that he came and that mm-hmm. how great you are. So, yeah, I mean, his he, his mental mental state is incredible. So. Mm-hmm. That that's wonderful, but it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future because obviously you know stem cells can turn into brain cells, right? Uh, that's that's the belief. It can that's the especially these potentially these VSCLs could turn into the mesenchymal stem cells from uh, bone marrow. Not so much that I don't believe that turns into nervous tissue, but the VSCLs potentially can. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting in the future to just see where it takes us because I would love to see, you know, some progress in terms of like neurodegenerative diseases or even, you know, traumatic brain injury. If you could do an IV kind of that can pass the blood brain barrier, I think so many people would benefit from that from. Yeah, and and my my very good friend, uh, Dr. Marcella Madera, who's based out of Austin, Texas, she's treating she's a, you know, John Hopkins trained neurosurgeon, spine surgeon. And she's doing a lot of traumatic brain injury and stroke and that sort of thing. So I'll probably, I should introduce you to her and you should talk to her about those things, but her, you can find, she's easy to find on Google, Marcella Madera. And she's, I mean, she's, she's really sort of specializing in that area. So we covered definitely the joint pain and the full body stem cell makeover, which is amazing. I definitely have an in-depth podcast with uh, Dr. Killen about skin, sex, hair, and how it can work with stem cells. But can you just touch base a little bit for anyone that didn't hear how it can improve some of the skin skin health? Yeah. So let's sort of like we were saying earlier, whatever it is you're placing stem cells, it's what, what we think the mechanism is, is it's launching a healing response. So, you know, the thing about your skin, you know, you sort of think like, what are the three things that are sort of like show aging in your skin? Well, one is uh, uh, lines of facial expression. One is loss of volume. And the third is loss of elasticity and hydration of the skin. Well, for the lines of facial expression, Botox is great for that. You know, if you're into that, if you're not into it, that you know, that's cool too. But like, we have we have something to treat those lines of facial expression. For uh, loss of volume, there's lots of different fillers, including your own fat. I and mean, you can do filler with just your own liposuction fat. However, neither of those things really do anything to improve the elasticity and hydration of your skin. And that's what stem cells are great for. You inject into the skin and just exactly the same concept as doing a low back or a knee or anything like that. It's triggering this healing response, growing new healthy tissue, giving you stronger, you know, stronger skin, more even collagen fibers. Uh, So so that's one portion. The other is the hair follicles. So uh, injecting the scalp in an area where you no longer have hair follicles, it's not going to do anything like that person needs 
to see a hair surgeon for the, you know, the follicle replacement where they move the follicles around. But if they have follicles that are producing very thin, wispy hairs, injecting with PRP, injecting with stem cells appears to thicken those hair follicles to make it more full. Similarly, in the in the in men, the penis, women, the vagina, you know, in, in, with the penis, you know, the erectile dysfunction is a circulatory disorder. It's a it's a loss of microcirculation to the tissue. Well, one of the things that we know from that conversation we were having about uh, wound healing and stem cells for the use of wound healing, one of the things we know is that therapeutic use of stem cells triggers neovascularization, which is the growth of, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, it's not neovascularization, it's angiogenesis. Neovascularization is something else. Uh, angiogenesis is the growth of new healthy blood vessels. Uh, and that's exactly what we think is happening when you inject the penis. And with the vagina, the, you know, the, when, when women complain, when, especially postmenopausal, when they complain of painful sex, uh, it's, it's usually due to dryness and loss of elasticity. Well, just like the skin of the face, the mucosal uh, tissue of the vaginal wall uh, seems to respond quite well to stem cell injection. I love it. I love where we're going in terms of regenerative everything from anti-aging internally, externally. Yeah. And it's all natural. I mean, that's what's, that's what I love about it. You know, especially as a naturopathic doctor, like this is using the body's own natural ability to heal itself. Yeah. And that, that's how it's supposed to work, right? We've just gotten so out of whack with our environment, our lifestyle that our bodies aren't in a position to heal themselves the way that they were originally meant to. Mm-hmm. So let's talk protocols. So what age would you recommend someone starting maybe a stem cell procedure or therapy? And I guess we can look at this twofold. Of course, if you have uh, more of like an acute injury, that might be one thing. But in terms of maybe the whole body stem cell makeover just for prevention, anti-aging, what do you, what do you recommend like age-wise? When do you start? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, th- there's, there's basically like two types of people that we get. For, well, let's talk about full body stem cell makeover first. Um, there are the busted up cowboys, you know, the people who've, whether they were athletes or, or manual laborers, you know, or, you know, a lot of times I'll get these people who own a dredging business and it's, you know, a very successful business, but in their early years, they were actually doing all the manual labor. So we, so these people are just broken down. With those people, like it's it, it's whatever age they're having pain. I mean, we get people in their twenties with low back pain. And we get young people who have pain that will not go away. And conventional medicine either hasn't helped them or they're just lean towards the alternative stuff. So, I mean, that's really just sort of like case dependent. What's ailing you? Uh, whether it's full body stem cell makeover or like what we call a site specific treatment. So. You know, like last week we had a a 25 year old who was, he's a firefighter and he, he's got low back pain from carrying patients from carrying, you know, people he was rescuing. Uh, So, you know, that's, that's an appropriate use. Then you sort of move into the realm of people doing it for preventive purposes. Um, And that's a little trickier because, you know, when you're treating somebody with pain and it's like clear what your goal is. And then when you're done, if everything works out, they should have less pain. 
When you're treating somebody preventatively, we're doing this sort of based on the idea that we think this is pushing off kind of the inevitable. You know, this is it, turning back the hands of time. So, you know, if you're 40 years old and say you don't have pain now, but, you know, who's to say that you won't at 55? Well, if we do the treatment now, we're hopefully pushing it back 10 years. Now, that is a completely unscientific statement, and I have no way to prove that, but I'm just saying from my own experience of treating people with pain, and then we get them out of pain for a period of years, and then it sort of starts to come back, and we do another treatment and gets them pain relief for a period of years. That makes sense to me. You know, I think that's a reasonable thing to say. Um, if someone wanted to do, for instance, a full body stem cell makeover purely for preventative reasons, really this, the earliest I would say would be 40, but you know, probably more like 50. Uh, I just did a consult with a guy who was super gung-ho to do it, 29 years old, no problems at all. And I basically talked him out of it. And, you know, I just said, this is, this is just not like, it, it's, it's the, the risks are very minimal, but it's not, the risks aren't zero. Like it's not completely without risk. And it's just, I, it just doesn't make sense to do it in such a young person who's so healthy. Hmm. Very, very good point. So now we kind of know the age. What about the protocol, like the frequency? So say you are 40 and mm -hmm. you do your first one. How long should you wait until the second procedure? And when would you recommend it? Like once a year, every other year, six sure. months? Sure. So again, it sort of depends if we're doing like a site specific treatment on somebody with pain, we do the first treatment and then we wait and see, you know, it really takes a year to find out what we're left with the, you know, this is, as we were saying earlier, we're launching a healing cascade. It takes time for this to work. I don't really expect any benefit initially. The, the benefit starts usually around two months, kind of starts to plateau around six months, but can continue for the entire first year. So at the year mark, we check in and just looking at my follow-up records, and I have documentation of all of this. This is not something I'm just making up. Around 70% of the people that I treat at the one-year mark are happy. And by happy, I don't necessarily mean 100% pain relief, but they've had enough pain relief that they're glad that they did it and they don't feel like they need another treatment. Then we just wait. I expect to hear back from the person anywhere from three to six years. Average is four or five years, uh, where four or five years later, it's not completely back to where it was, but it's starting to come back and they don't want to go back there. So, uh, you know, most people are okay with that. You know, if we do, do get you out of pain for four or five years uh, and then we have to do it again, like that's, you know, a knee replacement, you got to redo every 10 to 15 years. So like surgery isn't permanent either. Like you got to redo those things too. So, um, so that's, you know, the majority of the people, smaller percentage of people at the one year mark have had some improvement, but they'd like a little more. Well, then maybe we would talk about doing a second treatment at the one year mark, a smaller percentage, again, <coughs> between 10 and 15% of the people that I treat, I just don't help at all. It's a dud. And I hate that. And it drives me nuts, keeps me awake at night. Uh, but, you know, I just don't help everybody. I do everything I can to screen out. I won't treat people I don't think I'm going to help. I won't treat smokers. I don't treat heavy drinkers. I don't treat people with blood pressure through the roof. 
uh, because I know it's not going to work. It's going to be a waste of their time and it's going to be bad for my reputation. So I really try to weed people out, but still there are some people I just don't help. Well, I really appreciate the honesty too. You know, it's so, so important um, for anyone considering this. What do you, what do you think that the future of stem cells kind of looks like? Because, you know, things are always changing, of course, but what, what's your opinion? Because I, I feel like, you know, these should just become more accessible, but also, you know, we should be able to kind of do what we want with our bodies. I know a couple of mutual people that we know think the same. Yeah. Well, there's, there's two areas. So when we're talking about stem cells, there's regenerative medicine, which is what I do. And then there's tissue engineering. Regenerative medicine, where we're using primarily, you know, whether we're using stem cells from your body, which is what we do, or if you're using stem cells from like umbilical cord or something like that, the main thing that needs to happen is all the regulatory stuff needs to get worked out because there still remains a great deal of gray area. Uh, and it's, it's, hard, it's, it's hard for anyone to really understand what is okay and what isn't okay. And there's some stuff that is clearly not okay that should be okay. <clears throat> and then there's other things that are, you know, it's, it's, so that's really what needs to happen. Like, you know, that it's more about just sort of the regulatory landscape than it is even about advances in treatment technology. Tissue engineering, on the other hand, this is, this is like growing a kidney or growing an intervertebral disc or growing, you know, potentially like an entire ankle joint or something like that. That is what's going to explode over, over the coming years. Like we are to the point where we're growing hearts and kidneys and lungs and stuff in laboratories. We're not to the point where we're actually then putting them into people. But between 3D printing technology and, and stem cell technology, that's probably the most exciting thing that's on the horizon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, some of the stuff that I've just gotten a glimpse at in the future is just so incredible. It's going to be able to help so many people, which is is definitely um, what you're doing. And I know that you probably can't make this claim, but I've known a lot of, not a lot, but a handful of people who've had incredible results with stem cells where they thought that they were going to have to have surgery, you know? So it just, I want everyone to be aware that there's other options and I think that they should explore those options. If, um, you know, they're in a situation like you were and, you know, the only options are like here's steroids or here's a surgery, you know, these, this may be able to do some pretty incredible things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I'm not philosophically opposed to surgery. You know, my daughter was born with Tetralogy of Fallot, which is the most common heart abnormality in, in you know, sort of genetic disorder. Uh, so she's had two life-saving surgeries. You know, that if those surgeries didn't exist, she would not be here. And she's perfectly healthy and happy and thriving and doing amazing. So, you know, I, I have no ax to grind with conventional medicine, for, you know, overall, but the treatment of chronic conditions and anybody with any sort of background in functional medicine will agree with me on this. And chronic pain is a chronic condition. That's, you know, it's, it's not where conventional medicine shines, you know, and, uh, and the part of the problem is it's just like, we, we just throw stuff at it. You know, we th we're throwing like somebody's sick because of all the chemical exposures and now we're going to give them more drugs. Like, <laughs> but that doesn't make any sense. Just curious. Do you 
give uh, any like protocols pre-stem cell injection, like uh, maybe nutrition or certain lifestyle aspects that you should adhere to, to make the treatment more Generally effective. not. And the reason for that is because I'm much more interested in the person's overall lifestyle, the two years leading up to the treatment than I am the two weeks leading up to it. I don't think there's a whole lot you can do in a month or two that's going to move the needle that much as far as your outcome. Uh, I mean, that's part of the reason why I only treat people who are in good health overall, because those are the people who can have uh, good outcomes. That's one reason. The other reason is just completely like logistically and pragmatically about, about half the people I see are doing all this different stuff and like they know what's best for them. And, you know, nothing I'm going to tell them is going to make that much of a difference or anything I tell them to do, they're not going to do anyway. So like, so I've, I've sort of just given up on trying to like micromanage their, their lifestyles. Hey, that, that makes complete sense. <laughs> I, I totally get it. Um, well, wonderful. Is there anything else that you want to say that you think that the listeners should know about stem cells or your practice? Um, you know, the one thing I'd like to tell you guys about is, uh, you know, this, if this sounds expensive, well, it's because it is, unfortunately, like it's, it costs a fortune for me to run this facility and staff it with people and, you know, everything else. If you know somebody who you think could benefit from this, who otherwise can't afford it, uh, we have a tithing program. So the way that works is if first someone has to demonstrate that they're in fact living below poverty line, and that's like, you know, there's government charts that, you know, we have that on our website that show the, you know, we just, we look at your, basically look at your tax, you know, your, your, your taxes to determine that once we've determined that you are in fact living below poverty line and among the medically underserved, then uh, there's two pathways for enrollment. One is for combat service veterans. If you've served this country in combat, I'm happy to do the treatment, no charge, no further questions asked. I'm happy to do it. The other pathway for people who are not combat service veterans is I will do the treatment in exchange for community service hours. So on my website, I've got listed like the four different places because, you know, it's, it can't just be anywhere. Like it's, it's Habitat for Humanity, Boys and Girls Club, uh, VA hospital system, and then a local Park City, uh, the Park City Christian Center. Uh, depending on what we're doing, between 60 and 120 hours of community service, I'll do the treatment. That's incredible. I absolutely love that. And I think it's very important. So on behalf of everyone, I'll say thank you for doing that. Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't my idea. I heard a I heard a doctor give a lecture about her tithing program, and she finished it by saying, any doctors in the audience, I invite you to rip off my idea. And I did. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. Well, Dr. Adelson, I'm going to include all of your, your Instagram and your company website, and I'll definitely include a link to, to that program because I, I think it's so important and something that in, you know, the bio, if we want to identify the biohacking space or regenerative health, it's not always ultra accessible. So mm -hmm. I really appreciate you doing that. Oh, I think it's well, thanks so much. Program. And then I guess this, the last thing is my film, you know, my Nick Nanton film, The Stem Cell Solution. Uh, it's free to watch. Maybe you could throw a link up to your audience. It's yeah, free to watch. Uh, it's a deep dive. Dave Asprey's in there. Jim Quick's in there. You know, so it's uh, it was it was a fun project to do, and I'm glad we did it. I love that. I'll definitely include that and a link to your book too. So I'll include all that in the show notes. And I really appreciate you coming on. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. You're so welcome. 
Hacking was created and is hosted by Kayla Barnes. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Kayla Barnes, does not accept responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of the information contained herein. Opinions of their guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical issue, consult a licensed physician.